let's turn back to Nehemiah chapter 3. Be a somewhat lengthy scripture lesson today. We're going to read the entire chapter, all 32 verses of Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel, and next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachar, the son of Emri, built. The sons of Hassaneah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired and next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, that their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Yoada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Bezodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshanah. And they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranothite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Judea, the son of Haramoth, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashbaneah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Peth of Moab repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Helahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the, the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth-Hekarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rahum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kieleh, repaired for, the, for his district. And after him, their brothers repaired, Baavai, the son of Hanadad, ruler of half the district of Kilai. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the army at the buttress. 
After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to, to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maaseiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benuai, the son of Henadad, repaired another section, from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padeah, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shimei, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. A lot of names, a lot of details. This is from one account, one of the most descriptive geographical sections of scripture describing Jerusalem and all of the scripture. The city of Jerusalem with Nehemiah as he is repairing it, the walls are are closer closer in than they were in Israel's great history. Many names, many gates, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. I felt it was important to read all of those names to give us a sense of the size and the scope of the work. And our title today is Let the Work Begin. Let the work begin. You remember those that have been with us, or if you've read Nehemiah in the past, you remember the first chapter, how all of this started with a broken heart and a burden to rebuild the walls on Nehemiah's part. That's where this started. He's in the court of King Artaxerxes. He's his wine taster. He's his cup bearer. He hears of the condition of Jerusalem and the devastation of the city and the devastation specifically of the walls and the gates, and he's, he's burdened. We remember this in chapter 1. We turn to chapter 2, and we saw Nehemiah's brokenness over the condition in Israel turned to a boldness before King Artaxerxes. And we remember that great conversation that happened between these two men that opened the door to allow Nehemiah to come back to Jerusalem to begin the work that we just read about. We remember that day that God opened that door and sent with Nehemiah a military escort and letters of authorization from himself that the work could proceed. 
In the last chapter, the last part of chapter 2, we read that Nehemiah has now been in Jerusalem for several days. He's done an inspection of the city, and he has called the people to rebuild. Chapter 3 now has that work beginning, and it was a major undertaking. The size of this work must not be understated. Chapter 3 shows us, at least in some part, these names were necessary and they are important. And the labels of the gates and the sections of the wall that was to begin a major undertaking. Many details, many challenges, no doubt that aren't recorded successes and failures from a day-to-day perspective. As I think about that, and I think about our lives, we see so much spiritually the walls broken down, certainly around our nation, but I think from day to day we can see and experience that even in our own lives there are times that our spiritual walls are in better repair than others. And, ne- and Nehemiah, is, is this book of Nehemiah is like the Christian life in a microcosm on a very tight timeline. We can read what the Christian life really looks like and how it, how it manifests itself in our life and the, the work that is to begin. And it must begin. We've made this point, but I want to stress it. It must begin our work for the Lord, our work in our lives, our spiritual conditions must begin with a burden. A burden is essential. A concern, not an apathy, not a dismissal, not not a life that is lived only considering the things of this world. How much money we make here. How popular we are here. How easy we have it here. You see, the devil has sold us a lot of lies, and one of them is that we ought to seek the most ease and comfort here in this life. That's a lie. We've bought it, especially in the West, when we have enjoyed so much prosperity over such a prolonged amount of time. And I am not bemoaning that. I am not saying that the wealth and prosperity itself is a sin. It is not. But if we begin to think that our life is about this life here only, we We will live it without a spiritual burden to ensure that it is right between us and God. And so I ask you today, is it right between you and God? Do you know the Lord? And if you do, what is the condition of the spiritual walls around your life? Maybe God has brought it to your attention like he did to Nehemiah as he's there in the city of Susa where the king was said, look, the condition is not good. Maybe spiritually, as you look at Nehemiah and you see the Christian life in in a very tight timeline, you realize it begins with a burden. You must be concerned about that. You must be concerned about the condition of your soul more than you're concerned about anything else in this life and in this world. It's A1 on the priority list. In fact, I would say it this way, it's A1 and the only thing ultimately that ought to be on the priority list. It's not something you check off and then move to the next thing. But sometimes we think that way. A burden is essential. Nehemiah never would have been here to begin the work had he not had the burden in the city of Susa as God placed it on his heart. 
So with you and me today, are we burdened for the condition of our souls and the condition of the souls of others around us? Are we concerned about their eternal state? And then, as we saw, that burden turned into boldness when God provided an opportunity. And boldness is essential. This boldness that Nehemiah exercised, it's essential. The open door that God prepared for him was essential for him to be here to begin the work. But this will be, I think, probably our main point today. A burden is essential. Boldness is essential. A door opened by the Lord is essential. And preparation is essential, which he has just previously done. Nehemiah has. But there comes a time after all of these things are in place that the work must begin. The actual rebuilding of the walls must begin. And in our life, a burden is good. It is essential. It is necessary. If you do not have that, that's where you need to start. If you have a burden and you're praying and God has opened a door of opportunity for you to go through to see that burden fulfilled and see that work that God has placed on your heart done, then the next step is to go through that door and boldly go through it and then to prepare for the work. But do not let that preparation go on so long or that burden be considered so long in your mind that the work never begins. I believe that there have been many who have felt something of a burden for the Lord's work at various points in their lives, but perhaps lack the necessary boldness borne by a sincere faith and trust in God to step through the doors that God opens in their life. That just ends with a burden unfulfilled. I also believe that there have been those who felt a burden for the Lord's work and acted in boldness even when the Lord opened the door but failed to properly prepare for the work that God had them to do. All of these are essential. They're important. It must begin with a burden. It must then move to a boldness when God opens a door and it must go from a boldness to a preparation and being prepared for the work that God has given to you. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But then that preparation, it comes time to actually do the work because I believe that there are yet still others who have felt a burden to work for the Lord, called by the Lord to do something with their life. And we all are man, woman, husband, father, worker, friend, uncle, aunt, enemy all of us have been called by the lord to give him our lives we have a calling that we are to pursue we all we need to have a burden for that in our life and and some even will act in, in boldness but fail to prepare and i think much of scripture by the way and much of what membership and attendance at the lord's local church is about is to help us prepare for the work that the lord opens doors for us to go through. I think it's all about this preparation. Time and again in Scripture, we see men and women that God prepared for years before the ultimate door was opened. For years and years and years and years of difficulty and struggle. You all know the story of Abraham. God calls him in Genesis to follow him. He feels that burden to follow God. And so he leaves in that boldness. He leaves his home. He leaves 
his his father he leaves the place of his upbringing to go to a to a place that God had not even shown him yet but he knew God had called him to go that's the kind of burden that must drive our lives we don't need to know all of the answers of what's on the other side all the time if you're like me though you want them you want the answers Lord if I do this what is going to be the result of my obedience to you in this thing Abraham demonstrates for us that that's not always and perhaps not even normally how God works he calls us and we obey and follow and then he'll show us where that is all going to end up he was preparing Abraham and as Abraham then turned his burden to follow the Lord into a boldness that led then to a door that was opened in him actually following the preparation that God placed in his life was years of waiting beyond what men thought even possible that a son, an heir, might be given to him and Sarah. But he left and he followed the Lord. It began with that burden. It continued with a boldness to follow the Lord. And he didn't do it perfectly, and we know that. And that's another example for us as we stumble and we fall along the way. What is our North Star? What is truly driving our lives is a desire to follow the Lord where he wants us to go and a willingness to be prepared by the Lord for the work he has for us to do. And that preparation is always ongoing, I think, in one sense, until the day that we leave this life. Abraham's a great example. Certainly Joseph is another example, is he not, of a man that God took years to prepare for the role he was going to play as the second most powerful man in all the world to Pharaoh alone and to save an entire nation and not just Egypt nation, but the nation of God's people. Years of preparation that began with a desire to serve and to please God who he knew. And, and, it, and it, that desire, by the way, and that desire to follow the Lord led to many troubles in his life certainly being sold by his own brothers into slavery and all the things that happened that with him and Potiphar's wife and with the baker and, and all of the things that happened to him in jail. And God used those years to prepare him for what it was that he was to do. But there came a time when the building needed to, to begin. Moses, of course, we could have so many examples in Scripture. Another man that God prepared for years, but... Do you see in Moses' life, he did not always wait the proper time. He had a burden early in his life and had something of a sense, perhaps, that God might have him deliver his people, and he took it upon himself, killed an Egyptian, and found himself fleeing into the wilderness and living with Jethro for 40 years. But those were years of preparation as well. You see, it must begin with a burden, but it also is essential that God is opening the door. Moses didn't wait. Ultimately, God brought him back around. David, another classic example of early preparation for a work he never would have imagined he would be called to, the king of Israel. Esther, such another example of beauty and position, not of her own making, but burdened for God's people and a boldness before the king, and she built when it was time to build, an instrumental in saving of the Jewish people. So many New Testament examples, we won't take time to go through them, but from Paul to Peter to all the other apostles to, to 
all of those that we read about how God prepared them. It's important for us to remember that when we read about these men and women in Scripture, we're reading snippets of their life. Just little pictures into them. We don't read of every day, the day in and the day out of Abraham's life. We read of those very specific moments in time, always being prepared day by day. Sometimes I think this has been the case in my life. We don't always know what God is preparing us for. But if we are willing and able to, to give to him our hearts and we start with a burden and boldness, he will prepare us for the thing he has called us to do. And by the way, I wouldn't overthink it. I wouldn't overthink the question, what is God preparing me for? I wouldn't try to puzzle it all out. I'd leave that with him. And I simply desire to follow him. Don't overthink it. Just encourage you to fan the flame of the burden God has placed in your heart. And ask the Lord to open a door. And when he opens the door, to give you boldness to walk through it. And when he gives you boldness to walk through it, that he'd give you wisdom to prepare correctly. As Nehemiah gives us an example, he's there for three days. He makes a full inspection. And then he calls the people to the work. And then he begins it. God will take care of the rest. God will take care of the work. If, you, if you're anything like me, and I think others are, not everyone certainly, but many of us struggle with what might be called paralysis by analysis. We must never be foolish and rush headlong into a work God has not prepared and opened to us. May that never be the case. But we must also not allow the enemy to convince us when the time to begin is at hand to stop and continue preparations. Nehemiah could have spent days and days and days and months inspecting the wall, inspecting it day after day, examining what was needing to be done. And you and I sometimes I think we're guilty of doing that. Spiritually, we examine, we think, we ponder, perhaps even pray. We see the things that need to be done and we examine the broken down walls around us spiritually, either our own hearts or, or our church or our people, our nation even as a whole. If God would call us to something like that, it is, it is where we get stuck seemingly perhaps the most is in that moment from preparation to beginning the work, to moving from preparation to work. We must not allow the enemy to convince us that we can simply continue to think and to ponder and to strategize and to consider and to, to put a plan together. There comes a time when it's time to rebuild the walls. There comes a time when it's time to actually do what God has called us to do. There comes a time when it's not just about looking at the broken down walls and saying we ought to rebuild those walls and thanking God for the military escort that we received to get to the walls and the letters of authorization to rebuild the walls and everything is in place. There comes a moment in time when we've got to let that go and start working and just go and move and speak the word of the Lord to our friends and our neighbors and, and to, to guard our hearts against the enemy with the word of God and with fellowship with God's people. What would Nehemiah's burden have mattered if the walls had never been rebuilt? 
What would Artaxerxes' permission and provision have mattered if the walls had never been rebuilt? What would Nehemiah's preparations have mattered if the walls were never rebuilt? In our life, a burden is essential, but what is a burden without acting upon it? Here, we do we not see the depth and the reality and the, the pinpoint truth of Nehemiah's burden as that burden turns to work, turns to doing the thing that God has called us to do? I call upon us all, myself included, and all of God's people across this land and across the world, be burdened. Don't look the other way. Don't ignore it. Be like Nehemiah in the midst of comfort and a, pot and, a, and a powerful position in the king's court. When you hear that the spiritual walls around you, when it comes to you that your spiritual walls are lying in ruins, don't ignore it. Ask God to burden you about that and to burden you to the point that it's the most important thing you think about all day. It's there when you wake up. It's there as you go through your day. And it's there when you go to sleep at night that my heart is not right before God. And may that burden be real and may it work in your heart a boldness then to trust him to open a door. To be bold and to trust him with what he is doing in your heart. England and specifically Winston Churchill, they just perplexed Hitler and Goebbels and the German people. In World War II, they just perplexed them. They thought they were just going to uh, just send some air raids over there again and again. And England would come uh, to their to their senses in the eyes of the Nazis, and they would surrender. And Winston Churchill, we know that speech, never, never surrender. Trust the Lord. Be bold in that that He is burdening your heart with. Be prepared. Consider the plan carefully. Consider your life carefully from your job to your habits, your routines, the things you read, the things you think about, the words you use with others, the, the witness that you are to others around you. Be careful and plan those things and prepare accordingly. But in doing all of that, do not fail to build. Don't fail to begin to pick up and build. Knowing the right thing and doing the right thing are two entirely different things. Nehemiah knew the right thing to do. He's burdened about it. And the Lord opened the door and he was bold to ask for the opportunity. And he was given the preparation uh, to make. And now he is building. And I want you to understand this before we move on to a couple of Final points. I want you to understand, I need to understand, all of us need to understand life itself. Life itself is preparation for death. All living, John Blanchard said this, all living is preparing for dying. All of it. Thomas Kempis, the devil does not sleep nor is this flesh yet dead. Therefore, we must never cease preparation for our battle because on the right hand and on the left are enemies who never rest. 
This life is a preparation for death and there is an enemy that at the moment of death wants to pull you into his clutches for all of eternity so you have no hope and no light and no peace and no joy and no love ever again. This life is preparation for that moment. That moment that then steps into the moment that never ends. We are never truly free to live our lives until we are prepared for that inevitable day when we must all let them go. Never going to be free to live until you are prepared to die. You're never going to be free to be what God would have you to be until you let go of your own hopes and ambitions and dreams and thoughts. And in these thoughts lies the truth that we must ever be preparing and yet ever and always ready and prepared this day to begin to build. To begin to work. Let the work in your life begin. If there is a burden in place, if there is boldness that, you have, that God has opened a door and you are willing to walk through it, and you have properly prepared, or God has prepared you, then brother or sister, get to work. Get to work. Do the work. Read the scripture. Teach others. Do what it is that God is calling you to do. We read all of those names, didn't we? So many names, so many people, all cooperating and sharing a common goal with many different skills, many different positions, from priests, to Levites, to goldsmiths, to perfumers, to fathers, to daughters, to politicians, to ordinary people, to people who lived in Jerusalem and people who lived in the surrounding area. All kinds of people, all with a common goal. See, this is where you and I come in individually. God places all of, all of us in unique places and circumstances, and he places in each of us unique talents and abilities and position. Of influence. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. This was not a, a, a task for one man. No one man could do this job on his own. 45 sections of construction are mentioned in this chapter, including 10 gates. There's an unknown number of people, but many names who likely were the leaders of the particular section on which they worked. Nehemiah is not the hero here. Yes, he is a leader. Yes, he is one who is instigating the work. Yes, he is a wonderful model for us to, 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 to look to. But he did not rebuild these walls. Certainly not on his own. God's people did that. He is a man God used, Nehemiah is, to lead his people to the work he desired them to do. But he was only one man. When we talk about letting the work begin, please understand that means all of us. Each of us to contribute to that place on the wall that God has put us in. Some people were privileged and allowed and probably specifically strategized to, to build next to their houses. Some of the priests were, 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 were uh, tasked to build the sections of the wall and the temple and the gates that were close to the temple. God places each of us where he wants us, but when he places us there, it's for a purpose for us to begin to work. And then we find out that we are all just building together 
And this isn't about my work or yours. It's about God's work. So listen, know this. You have a section of the wall to work on. You do. You do. I can't work on your section of the wall. I can encourage you to. I want to encourage you to. I want to help you to do that if as much as I can. But you have a section of the wall to build. I have a section of the wall to work on. And I can't come to you and say, I've got this section of the wall that's mine to build. Would you please do it? I think sometimes we think that way, though, even if we don't acknowledge that that's how we think. We look for someone else to rebuild our wall. We look for someone else to do the building that only we can do. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. But the work, listen, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but I believe this was God, something God specifically put in my mind and heart. This work of the Lord is a we and us thing. It is not an I and me thing. This work is not mine. This work is not yours. This work is God's, and in that it is ours as his people. The saying is true. Chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And by, by my assessment in my life, I have so often been the weakest link. Help me, God, to strengthen my heart so that I might be in a position to strengthen others, to begin the work and to build. We must all be more concerned with the, the success of the work than we are about our own place or success in the work. It's time that the wall get rebuilt. I need to rebuild my section. I'm the only one that can rebuild this section. I'm the only one that can rebuild the wall around my own heart with God's help. I know all of this as I say these things. I hope you understand, obviously, Every one of us individually and together need the help of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to do anything. We know this to be true. And yet at the same time, it's a work God gives to each of us to build. We have this section. Let us begin building it. So don't just look around and see the devastation. Let's see in our mind's eye what that's going to look like when the wall's rebuilt. Let's not just give up hope. That is the realm of the enemy to give up. How many times have we heard that story? You fall off a horse, get back on it. Going to work. There's work to be done. Yes, we've failed in the past. Yes, we have run into trouble in the past, but we're going to build today. God has given us a burden. God has opened a door. God has let us prepare. It's time to get to work. I think it's very important. There was just one phrase in verse 5 that stuck out to me. Next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. So many people put their hand to this work, but not everybody did. There were, there were holdouts. There were those who refused. There were those who looked the other way. We're not told why. 
not specifically. We can conjecture. But we're not told exactly why they would not stoop to serve their Lord, as the ESV puts it. Perhaps they were simply unwilling to work. Had what they thought were better things to do. Better places to go, better people to be with. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work on that wall. I've got too much else to do. Uh, everything's going fine. My bank account's fine. My plans are in in shape. I want to build my life instead of building the life God wants for me. Maybe they were unwilling to sacrifice the time that it was going to take. Maybe they were just unwilling to get involved. Have you ever been there? That's a struggle. And, and we need wisdom and discernment to know when and when we should not get involved in things. But I think sometimes, it, for me, most of the time, it feels to me like I'm, I just don't want to get involved. I don't, because that's going to then, there's going to be a work that needs to be done. Maybe that's what these people thought. Maybe they thought the work was doomed to failure. Unwilling to risk failure in the eyes of the world. We don't want to be a part of these people. This work is doomed. They are never going to rebuild the wall. And so in their dismissiveness, they don't put their hand to the work. And I wonder perhaps how many people today spiritually are in the same condition. They see the condition of our, of our nation. They see the deplorable spiritual place. It seems on the surface that most are in. And they say... Why would I join myself to such a group as that? Thought it's doomed to failure, unwilling to work. Listen, listen to me. The only failure, the only failure, and this is cliche, perhaps, the only failure is not working. It's not up to you and me how the wall is going to look in the end. It's not up to you and me what the external visible results of our work is going to be. It's not up to me whether the world sees what I do as a success or not. It does, it's not about that. It's I'm putting the hand of the work that God has given me to do. Maybe this is probably a very real likelihood. Maybe they feared the anticipated reprisal of those who didn't want the work to be done. Powerful men, Sanballat and Tobiah, that we'll read about in the next chapter. These may be lack the boldness to accept the risk of such a reprisal of those that held such power over their lives. And I certainly wonder why and perhaps how so much of the spiritual devastation that we see in our nation and in our own lives it's simply because of the same thing, a fear of what it would bring to us from the world if we were to do what God has called us to do. But may that fear be overcome and completely removed from us and cast out by the love that we have for God and for a world that needs Him. You see, we all have a choice to make. Whether or not we will begin the work Every one of us has a choice. Or if we will choose not to for any number of reasons that our enemy will have ready at hand to give to us and to place into our minds and hearts, 
but we have a choice. We don't need to understand. We don't, we're not responsible. The, the high priest in his section was responsible for his section. These others that were responsible for their section, it was responsible for their section. The same for you and me. It is discouraging to see others not working. It is. But do not let their unwillingness influence or rub off on you. Just get to work. Get to work. The burden is there. The boldness has been there. You've stepped through the door. You've been prepared. You're ready to go. And the work is at hand. Get to work. Surely this, and I want to, I'll close with a few final thoughts here. Surely, surely, please listen as I close. Surely the words, Lord, I didn't follow you because others around me weren't following you will sound hollow even in your own ears if you were to say them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Surely the words, I didn't repent and believe in you because others around me didn't believe in you. Surely, surely that will sound like the most foolish words ever spoken when they come out of your mouth as you stand again before the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all the world and the one who gave you life. That'll be empty, hollow. You won't even believe them when you say them. You ever said something out loud that you believed you thought was true in your heart and mind, but when you said it out loud, you went, well, that can't be right. Any excuse you give to the Lord Jesus Christ on the day that you stand before him is going to sound like that. You're going to say, how could I ever have been so blind? What God places in your heart, I ask you, exercise trust in him, take that burden and move toward it and ask God to give you boldness to repent and believe the gospel. And when he gives you peace, and then if you've been saved already, and you work a similar process, by the way, of, Lord, I want my life to be yours. I want to surrender this to you. Once again, I know I'm saved. I know you have secured my soul eternally. I know I'm yours and you are mine. But for some reason, Lord, you have kept me here in this life. I don't know how many days I have out in front of me. I don't know how many hours I have. I don't know how many people I'm going to be able to tell about you yet in my life, Lord. I don't know how long I have. I don't know how many days I have. I don't know how many more sermons I have, Lord. And it doesn't matter what's gone before I want to give you today that I have that you've been given to me. Help me, Lord, to build today. Help me, Lord, to repent today. Help me, Lord, to, to tell you and everyone around me that I love you and my life is yours today. Let the work begin. Be certain of your burden. Be bold when the Lord opens the door. Always be in preparation but when it comes time to work, as it did here for Nehemiah in chapter 3, let the work begin.